0: Welcome to episode number nine of MetaScam. We are a podcast dissecting scams, one fraudster at a time.
1: And now, from the Excellence in Podcast Studios, it's time for another episode of MetaScam. This is Andy, and this is Peter. Coming up on episode number nine of Metascam, we're going to talk about scammers in history, one in particular fellow, Victor Lustig. We're also going to talk about a com-domain name scams, and finally, a couple of new email scams. The
0: information presented in this show is based on personal opinion and should be taken as such. Consult your personal attorney before making any financial decision. And, hey, folks, if you want to get in touch with the crew here at Metascam, it's pretty easy to do. You can send us an email over at hello at metascam.com, or you can uh, hit us up on the social pipes at Metascam Show on Twitter. And, you, you know, Peter, just before we jump into all this, our email servers have been under attack for the last two weeks. Really? So, yeah, we made somebody mad. Uh-oh. <laughs> And uh, we had one of our uh, one of our listeners uh, sent me a direct message on Twitter and said, "Hey, I'm trying to email you and it's getting bounced back." So I said, like, "Well, that's kind of odd." So I emailed myself and it bounced back, and I got a hold of our uh, our our hosting provider, and uh, they said, "Yeah, we're looking at logs here and you guys are, are under under attack."
1: Denial of Service attack. Yeah. Better than ransomware, I guess. I we, guess we got nothing worth for anybody wanting to get from us, so it's the information.
0: <laughs> So, I mean, hey, the the Twitter still work? If the email server is under attack, which I don't know if they have it fixed yet or not, uh, but Twitter is always a thing. You can get a hold of us there.
1: So, scammers in history, Mr. Victor Lustig. Oh, yes, Mr. Lustig. uh, Some of these scams we talk about that go way, way back, you might think, wow, how naive some of these people were to fall for these things, but... When you look at history, we always have to put things that happen into the context of what is going on in that particular time. So when we look at the things that Mr. Lustick was able to get away with, we have to put it into that context. He, he goes way back to, uh, I think he was born in... Uh, About 1890 in an area of Europe, which today would be the Czech Republic. He did a lot of small scams on people that maybe were traveling on ocean liners. But then he's really known for a couple of really creative, imaginative scams that were like, wow, how could he how could these be pulled off? Uh, The first one is actually referred to as the money printing box scam. Basically, he would provide to an individual who he was trying to scam a box that he could print out $100 bills. But the process would take about 12 hours for each of those $100 bills to be printed. So he was able to give him a demonstration. Okay, I, I've turned the crank and there's has a chemical reaction. And then within, an, within 12 hours, I'm going to be able to print out an authentic looking bill and basically the bill that he printed out was a real $100 bill. Then he would have to wait another 12 hours and once again do the same so that the individual who's witnessing that say, wow, this machine is really printing out these $100 bills. And he's able to sell this box to that individual for tens of thousands of dollars because they're thinking, I'm gonna be able to over a period of time print out a lot of these bills, but it can only do it one every 12 hours.
0: Yes. You're getting $200 a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're spending, you know, 10, even if you're spending $30,000, that's only two weeks. Mm-hmm.
1: So what he's uh, doing then is he, he, he put a few additional bills in the box and then got the person's money and then disappeared. So the person probably doesn't notice that anything is wrong until the uh, second or third or fourth day into this and all of a sudden is starting to print out blank pieces of paper. Oh, something's wrong. This thing's not working. But by that time, the fraudster, Mr. Lustig is long on his way out. So he was able to do this a number of times and it's not like the day of the internet now where if someone gets scammed like this, they can put something on, on the internet and say, Whoa, be care, beware of this scam. Since there was this, not this type of communication available, a a lot of people were not able to even find out that this was going on. And then some of the people that maybe did get scammed were too embarrassed to even bring it to anyone's attention. So that was his first uh, noteworthy worthy scam at a, at, a, at a significant size. But what he is most known for is actually trying to sell the Eiffel Tower twice. Twice. Now I said, we had to get back into the context of how could this happen We think of the Eiffel Tower as who, how would France be willing to sell the Eiffel Tower? That's that's national patrimony. That just wouldn't happen. That is true today. But if we go back to the early 1920s, right after the First World War, uh, Europe was, it was in disarray. Uh, France was in disarray. There was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of reconstruction that needed to go on. The Eiffel Tower itself was in poor condition. And so there was even a newspaper article that came out speculating about, okay, they're going to have to sell this thing maybe for scrap because it's just it's deteriorated and it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not worth anything more than scrap. So he took advantage of that newspaper article and said, hey, here may be an opportunity. Let me get together a group of individuals who buy scrap metal. And prior to that, I'll make this look like a real official uh, development. I'll go ahead and I'll get brochures and business cards and everything printed up as if this was coming from the French government. So he, put, he gave him some, self, some kind of title, a director for uh, whatever, infrastructure whatever. He whatever. He gave himself this title, had all the brochures, uh, printed up, very professional looking, and then had this meeting at the hotel. Might have been the hotel Korean, one of the best hotels in all of Paris. So this looked really, really authentic. He got these guys together to to uh, tell him that this t- this tower was available for sale, but it's you know it's a lot of metal there, and it's going to go to the highest bidder, and actually they're all were somewhat interested, but there was one particular individual who was really trying to make a name for himself. And so Mr. Lustig was aware of that in the beginning that this guy was probably be the one to be the first to bite because not only wanting to get the Eiffel tower, but if he did so, that would be a fantastic, uh, you know, pedigree for him to have purchased the Eiffel tower. And, and so that individual actually did pay, I believe $70,000 for the Eiffel tower. So Mr. Lustig took that money and then disappeared for a while, and and he was so embarrassed, actually, that he didn't even he didn't even bring it out publicly initially. He didn't try to file charges because he was totally embarrassed that he got conned by this. And so some time passed, and then hey, it worked the first time, right? So he came back to try to sell the Eiffel Tower again, using the exact same ploy, but unfortunately for him, this time around one of the individuals said, this doesn't look quite right. And so he did some investigation. He actually brought it to the attention of the Parisian authorities. And they said, no, there is no effort here to try to sell the Eiffel Tower. And then he, so Mr. Listic actually got, he was arrested. He was arrested. it, it uh, I think he was arrested, but he, he ended up getting away on that one too eventually, but he wasn't able to, to sell the, the tower the, the second time. Where he actually, his downfall was not in his scam, but in a love triangle. Oh, no. (laughs) You know, you hear about these all the time. These love triangles, they can, what you happen to tell somebody else about your evil doings, that other person is the one that can be your downfall because they can bring, they can go directly to the authorities and report you. So he was, he had a girlfriend. And then he started having a little bit of uh, something on the side with somebody younger, and his girlfriend got really upset and actually said, I'm going to turn, turn this guy in. I'm going to get back at him. So he was turned in and, uh, to the authorities and was prosecuted. And eventually, he actually served, I think he had like a 20-year term at Alcatraz, the infamous no. Alcatraz, where Al Capone served and many other individuals, and he actually he died in prison. So
0: one of my favorite parts of the Eiffel Tower story is that the gentleman who was his mark, André uh, Poisson, maybe? I'm I'm horrible with French names. Poisson. Uh, André's wife became skeptical of the whole deal. Yes, that's right. And so they approached Victor and they said, hey, you know, we're just a little skeptical of this whole thing. We don't understand what all the secrecy, what all the hurries about. We don't understand all this. And instead of Victor you know, losing the con, he actually conned them again and said, look, yeah, I'm a director, uh, deputy director, ministry or whatever it is, but I'm not making enough money. And because we're not making enough money, you know, our meetings have to have a quote unquote certain level of discretion. And he actually hinted at them at the fact that he was a public official who was open to taking bribes. So not only did he get the bid for the $70,000 for the Eiffel Tower, he actually got a bribe from them to win the bid on top of everything else. So it was like a double con and wrapped up it was a con wrapped up within a con.
1: So he demonstrated a lot of the qualities of a of successful scammers, you know, he's just one of many of them. He was a fast talker, he instilled confidence in the people that he dealt with. He seemed like he was very trustworthy. He preyed upon individuals desires to, you know, whether it's wealth or fame, a t- pressure on time because, you know, this is for sale now. He brought together at least six people, right? Whoever was the first one uh, to make a bid on this was likely the one to get it. So he used all the, the right buttons pushed all the right buttons to get people to take action without really thinking about what they were getting into. If they would have, once again, we go back to the, the theme vet before trust, if they would have done their own investigation or due diligence, is in fact the French government really trying to sell this, the Eiffel Tower for scrap metal, they would have determined that this was a fraud. But no, they went, they just trusted everything that he was telling them. And that's why they, that's how they, w- they would fall for this.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that is, and sadly, I mean, you look at it today and go, well, there's no way anybody would fall for something like that today. Uh, but sadly, I think there is. You know, you're just not gonna be the Eiffel Tower. Uh, There's probably, you know, everyone's heard the old story about, I got a bridge to sell you. <laughs> and it's the same notion of that type of scam happening. Just replace Eiffel Tower with anything electronic today, and you could probably have that same scam running.
1: Well, that the sale of the bridge actually goes back, I'm not sure if it goes back to maybe him as well, that he also tried to sell the Brooklyn Bridge. So and he he used variants of this scam on both sides of the the Atlantic Ocean with, with quite some success. And I think that's hmm. where that, that saying goes, I got a bridge to sell you.
0: So Lustig also had the Ten Commandments for con men that has been attributed to him. And we're just going to go through those here. Number one, be a patient listener. It is this, not fast talking,
1: that gets a con man his coup. The reason being is that all you have to do is direct the conversation and get the target to talk. When the target talks, there's two things that happen. First of all, you're going to, the con men will learn a lot about the target, the intended victim, and be able to amass a credible amount of information. The second aspect of this is, and I see this all the time, people will tend to trust the people that listen to them. If you appear to be in a, a sympathetic ear and you allow somebody to talk, they will, they will talk, 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 and will always come back to you and want to confide their inner secrets because they don't know anybody else is going to listen to them. And I see it all the time. So what he means you're being a patient listener is instill that trust. You know, he becomes trustworthy to that, that, that person. They'll tell him more and more and more. And in the process, you're learning more. So there's no need to be talking, talking, talking. You just start a conversation and let the uh, victim talk. And you, you can glean a lot of information from that. Number two, never look bored. Very important. Even though the conversation itself might be as boring as heck, you want to look engaged. You want to establish that eye contact and make it sound like you're really into the conversation and that what the victim is telling you is important. Wow. You know, like you really relate to it and you really, you know, you're, you're empathetic to their situation. And, and once again, they'll come back and tell you more and more and more because they got no one else it's going to listen to them, probably. Number
0: three, wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions and then
1: agree with them. That's very true, because if you're attempting to be a social engineer, and I'm not advocating this, but if you were to try to meet with somebody and try to f- assess them regarding what are all their different you know, thoughts, opinions, that include politics, if you get into an opposing situation with them and start to argue with them, you're going to lose... You know, that person's, the person might not like you as much because a lot of this is based on liking the social engineer or the scammer. They want that person to like you, not only trust you, but to like you because if you like somebody, you're naturally going to trust them. Think about just going, think about the last time you bought a automobile and you went to a couple, two, three different vendors and you probably bought that car from some salesperson that you just, you like that person you just thought that person was genuine, uh, sincere, and uh, just had a good vibe. You had a good vibe from versus somebody else that was just so businesslike. Even if the price was not that much different, at the end of the day, you're going to go with the person that that you like. So, the same principle here, you know, you you even if you have opposing viewpoints on something, most likely if you're trying to develop them and and uh, try to pull them into to a scam, to trust, you're gonna to wanna, to, you know, agree with them on practically everything, you know, so they feel good, the victim feels good about, about who they're dealing with.
0: Number four, let the other person reveal religious views
1: and then have the same views. It's sort of like number three, you know, number three was find out their political opinions and agree with them or uh, same thing here, uh, religion find out what their views are, and also be very supportive of those views. Because, you know, here in this country, in United States, we typically say, you can talk about everything except money, religion, and politics, right? Because those are topics that typically put people in an uncomfortable situation. They don't like to talk about money because maybe the person they're speaking with that's at a totally different social economic uh, point of life, or maybe they feel a little bit embarrassed, or maybe if they are in a very good position, uh, they might feel like they're boasting and, uh, usually it doesn't lead to a very, very good, uh, feel in the relationship when you have, when you talk about a subject like money, same thing with politics and religion, even more so because, you know, when you start going down that path and people have disagreements, those can be very passionate to the point of ending relationships. So that's the same, same concept there.
0: Number five, hint at sex talk, but don't follow it up unless the other
1: person shows a
0: strong interest.
1: I think that's more, that's sort of like any sort of, not just sex, but anything that could be sort of considered activities that maybe somebody might do that maybe they kind of want to keep concealed. You know, maybe maybe they, they have a sex, sexual, uh, I don't know, fetish, or maybe they have some other sort of thing they like to do, gambling or and. And so you, the the social engineer might want to try to figure out what does this person, whether it's female, like, and what kind of things might they they be involved in that maybe are not really something that they want to have out there in public. But so if if he's kind of like, you know, trying to trying to pry a little bit to find out, okay, uh, no, that person doesn't seem to have that kind of interest. You know, doesn't want to doesn't want to go there. But then if all of a sudden there is some opening where that person does have some sort of fetish, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of like going into that in the conversation at least and kind of like, you know, making maybe some humor, some shared humor, some shared uh, comments about whatever that is, that also draws that person in. Oh, you know, there is this sort of bond between the two of us because I like this sort of thing and you also, you know, are kind of like into it.
0: Number six, never discuss illness unless some special concern is shown.
1: It could be the social engineer might want to take advantage of the victim's potential response, though, if the social engineer comes out and says he's got a particular really serious problem, or maybe there's someone else that he knows that has a serious problem, like a terminal illness, and try to elicit how the victim, intended victim feels about that maybe even they, how they might be able to assist by providing some sort of support or financial support or turning that around, getting to know a little bit about if the the target has some particular medical issue and then being able to come to that person's aid, even if it's a little bit of a token aid and being able to s- satisfy maybe some sort of problem they have. And that also is going to gain more of the trust of that individual if you find out that they do have a a medical issue or an illness and you're able to maybe help them out in some capacity. So once again, it's sort of uh, kind of like luring them in uh, by using the the topic of of, uh, health or medical issue.
0: Number seven, never pry into
1: a person's personal circumstances.
0: They'll tell you all eventually.
1: That is so true. All this takes is a little bit of time and a little bit of patience. Because if I, Andy, if I just met you at a social event, let's say, we're, we're, and we, like we did meet several months ago, and I were to ask you really pointed questions about your personal background, uh, you would be like, who is this person who I've just met now? And they are asking all these personal questions. But, you know, if we're... If we're getting together and we're talking about a lot of different things, and little by little you come very comfortable with me, and I started to ask, you know, I, you're gonna start telling me things about your personal life that just come up. Maybe some things that you don't really want to, you can't talk about in the workplace. Maybe you can't talk about at home, but you know, I'm listening here. Once again, I'm listening, and you'll just start telling me, and then I can also ask more. I mean, I can use different different elicitation techniques to start to ask you about all kinds of things that lead to very, very personal information about you. And you're not, you're not really realizing it. You're providing that information and it just flows. It just flows. And it's so automatic. Number eight, never boast. Just let your importance be quietly obvious. Well, think about it. you've all come across people that you say, man, that that person's a jerk or you know, you just don't like most people don't like to hang around with people that just seems like they're so full of it. You know, they just talk about themselves, how great they are. And it kind of like turn offs, right? You know, you've all met people like that, but if you meet somebody who they're maybe saying the same thing about really important things that they've done, but it's all the way all about how they talk about it. They're not, they're not giving you the impression that they're boasting, that they're bragging about themselves, but they're talking about different things, different that they've seen and different things that they've gotten involved in that can still convey in your mind, wow, this person has been very successful in, in this matter, but they're not full of it. You know, they're not conceited. At least that's not what they're portraying. Number nine, never be untidy. I think that's more in the sense of appearance, right? Because... If you're trying to portray yourself as a very successful business person and you're trying to lure this individual in to make an investment through you, you want to look professional all the way around. And if we set up a meeting to have coffee and I'm coming in a T-shirt, torn jeans, tennis shoes to meet with you to talk about business, it's a little bit different than if I were to come there in nice slacks Dress shoes, a tie, maybe, you know, maybe in a suit and tie. That, that's, you know, tidy, you know, clean shaven, uh, hair combed. That's I think that's what he's getting at here. So whether it's you personally, how you're dressing, or if you are inviting an individual to your office space, once again, they'll make judgments about you based upon what your office looks like and how organized, how clean it is. Because if you are a wreck, it's probably going to be, they're going to wonder, man, if they are just so disorganized, they are probably not going to be very well organized either in how they're going to be managing my money or this investment. So it's all about appearance. Number 10, never get drunk. Ah. Well, interesting. I think you don't want to get drunk to the point of you losing control. Having a, It depends on what your target is interested in. If sometimes when you want to develop a, social relationship with them to try to get them to trust you more and more and more and to uh, and and to talk about a lot of their personal you know beliefs or feelings have in you know, a little bit of alcohol sometimes loosens it all up and makes people relax but never to the point of you getting drunk and you losing control and that person seeing you in that state of mind the successful fraudster is always going to be as much as possible in full control Full control. They're going to want to make the other individual very relaxed, but the individual has always got to be, the the scammer is always going to be in the top of his game, his or hers.
0: You know, I hate to say it, but almost all of these could be applied to a, a car salesman. <laughs> we really can. <laughs> the only one I would put an exception to for the car salesman, I believe, was the uh, the number seven, uh, never prior to a uh, person's personal circumstances. Because uh, a lot of times you need that as a car salesman to yeah. know if they're going to be able to afford the car, you're actually bothering to show them. But everything else kind of applies because I was thinking about the negatives as I was saying them. And I can remember going and looking at a car because you'd brought up you know going to a car dealership. And I had a dealer that I was at, and it was a car that I was really, really interested in. But the, in fact, the car, the, the salesperson, his name was Andy as well. And so he thought that was like an immediate connection with me. And then it kind of let his entire uh, professionalism fell off. And he was boasting about the car sales that he had. He was very boastful. Uh, he wasn't unkempt or cleaners. He didn't like violate all these, but, he, but the, the thing I didn't like about him was his boastfulness and the fact that he also got into some politics. And so both of those, in my opinion, have nowhere nothing to do uh, with sales. And it actually turned me off and I left the dealership and ended up buying a completely different vehicle. <laughs> so, uh, but man, these still true today.
1: They very much are, yes. And
0: it's, I mean, not just common, but these are very much just, just as a, a good rules. Like any, any I mean, I know I joked around and said, car salesman, but anybody, I mean, being patient, not looking bored, waiting for other people to, to talk, don't discuss illnesses, don't be prying, don't boast, don't be entitled. These are good, good things to follow.
1: Mm hmm. And he was pretty successful until he ended up in Alcatraz.
0: You're only going to get so far as to comment that you eventually things will catch up to you.
1: Actually, you know, there was uh, another story. I I believe it's true because I read it on the Internet. Uh, that uh, Mr. Lukewick even sort of conned Al Capone. Didn't con him in the sense of screwing him out of money, per se, but there was... He went to him and, I mean, this is kind of dangerous think about. This guy, Al Capone, I mean, I'm sure there's been a few people that maybe were somehow eliminated over the course of Al Capone's uh, business.
0: Given new pairs of cement uh, slippers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so he went to him directly and said basically that he had an investment opportunity, potential investment opportunity. And so he got and he he talked to Al Capone into giving him $50,000 in cash that he was going to invest and bring back, you know, a significant return for Al Capone. But he didn't do anything with the money. He intentionally just decided, I'm going to put this in safekeeping for a period of time and then go back to Al Capone and say, listen, you know, I really thought that the couple of opportunities I was looking at were going to be potentially very good. But closer looking at them, I realized, no, there was there, I, I couldn't invest your money in such in propositions, so I decided no, I'm not going to invest any of it. I'm going to give it back to you. I'm sorry, I, you know, it's waste your time, but I just I I don't want to go into anything that could could not be a guarantee, you know, for you. So here here's back your money, and Al Capone just really trust the guys, what, what appeared to be his honesty and integrity, and said, you know, hey, here's here's five thousand dollars for you. I really appreciate the fact that you were honest with me and thought about me, and and that's all that. Mr. Lestick really wanted. He wanted actually to get a cut like that, whether it was 5000 more or less, but he had never any intention of trying to screw the guy out of his money. I and mean, he actually was kind of a creative twist on, on this, give him back his full amount of investment and just say, sorry, you know, I'm a, but I, I'm not going to do anything that's going to risk you losing money. Yeah, he really played a long
0: con on that one as well. Mm-hmm. And to come back, I mean, I mean, what you know, Al Capone's first thoughts have to be, my money's gone. This guy just lost fifty thousand dollars. He, you know, he's about to go get a new pair of those uh, cement slippers, and the guy's like, "No, no, no! I have all your cash. Here it is." And so, man, we—that's a great way to. I trust this
1: guy now. It's good he did that because both he and Al Capone did serve together in Alcatraz. Ooh, so, wow. So maybe uh, Al Capone actually was actually looking out for him too there, and maybe they they helped each other for for whatever period of time <laughs> they were together.
0: Very interesting things here with Mister Lustig. And I'm looking forward to another one of your installments of the Scammers from History. I like these. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a technical scam that's going around. And it's not, this isn't really the scam, but it is at the heart of the scam that goes, that is going around. And these have been going around a while. And The reason I'm bringing this up is I just saw this scam come across my desk this morning. Uh, where a person was scammed or or believed to have been scammed. They did not go through with it. They were smart enough to go, hey, wait a minute, is this right? Sent it to me, and I'm like, no, that's not right. Of course that's not right. What they had done, they were trying to uh, book a room on Airbnb, and they were, well, actually, they had another site, and the person told them, look, I'll take the website down, book it through Airbnb, here's the link for the Airbnb link, and sent them a link, and the person became suspect of that link. He sent it over. I looked at it and go, no, that's not Airbnb at all. This is a typical room scam. This is what a room scam looks like. when We went down that list. So here's what happens. You receive a link. It's either via email, a social media, Instant Master. It doesn't matter. You get the link. It looks legitimate. It could look like google.com-secureserver.com. So you follow the link. You click on it, and then bad things happen. Now, what's happening in the background is people don't understand how domain names work, and not everybody is going to, and that's fine. The domain name sits without getting too technical, we actually it reads from right to left. We, in the English language, read left to right. The computer system is going to read that domain name right to left. For instance, if you if you look at all the .coms that are out there, there are a plethora of .coms. So the way the Internet works, it's going to go to what's called a domain name server. Look underneath the com tree for that next name, which is called the, uh, the domain name. Rather, the top level domain name is going to be the com. The domain name is going to be like Google. And then if you want a subdomain name, we always see a subdomain. We see one almost every day of WWW. We associate that with a web page of the World Wide Web. So when you see www.google.com, you go to it. It's a very trusted thing. You can go to google.com and it's going to forward you usually over to www.google.com because that's what you meant to do in the first place. So we see this architecture every day. We're just so complacent to it that this is why we get caught. So you see a name, you know you trust that name, that name like Google or name like Airbnb or whatever name it is that you trust, and you will click on a link. Now, some social media clients, some email clients, some chat clients, they will actually truncate or shorten a link. So you'll see the first part of it and you'll see like a dot, dot, dot after it. They do that in order to shorten the amount of text in, in, a, in a message, which is okay, except for the fact that uh, scammers take advantage of that because they know the first part of it, you're going to see it. The rest of it, you're not going to see. So what's happening here is anybody can go out and spend $1.99 and purchase a domain name. And they purchase what I call the com-domain dash name. So I start with com, C-O-M. I put a dash, like a little hyphen. And then I put something behind it like, oh, I don't know, safe, secure, security. Anything that is going to instill a little bit of confidence. Then I set up a subdomain. Now, remember, we said before, a subdomain can be like www. Well, it doesn't have to be www. It could be Google. So now, remember, the domain name that I bought is com-secure.com, we'll say. The subdomain name I'll set up is going to be Google. So now when you look at my URL, it says google.com-secure.com. And when people see that, they don't read the entire thing. They don't see that dash, perhaps. They'll see google.com and they think, well, that's google.com. That's Google. I trust Google. Let's go there. When you follow the link, again, like I said before, bad things happen. This is where the phishing attempts happen. They'll tell you to re login in with your password. You'll land on a page that looks exactly like a normal login page. You'll give your credentials. Nothing happens that you see. And in the background, you've just given your login and password to a nefarious organization.
1: In these particular cases, like Google might not even be aware that this is being done. And, and if they become aware that it's being done, probably difficult and time-consuming for them to be able to try to shut that down so that can go on for some time
0: you can go on for a little bit of time eventually we'll get shut down uh, but i see this all the time now the problem that you have and we talked about this a little before the show is that people don't associate with the the people who are actually pulling the scam off they associate the problem with the actual name they recognize so the guy that i got the scam from this morning He didn't say, hey, someone's trying to scam me. He said, hey, there's this Airbnb scam going along because he saw Airbnb as the first thing there. Now, truth be told, that first thing could have been anything in the world. It could have been Toyota. It could have been Nissan. It could have been Marriott. It could have been any word in the world. It just so happened that the scam he fell for was a room to rent scam. And so Airbnb is a trusted room to rent source. They went for that.
1: So what, what can people do about this then if they receive uh, an email with a link like that and it looks, it looks very legitimate and it could be just a very slight variation that maybe it's a le- two letters that look almost identical. But, you know, unless you look at it really closely, you won't even, you know, even a trained a eye trained might not necessarily pick it up very easy.
0: Well, we have what I call rural 1.5 on our show. Rule number one, I always say, is verify then trust. That's rule number one on Mm Metascam. Rule number 1.5 is uh, don't follow a link in an email. If you get an email that is unsolicited, it doesn't matter if it's unsolicited or not, don't follow a link in an email unless I know there's going to be times where you get that verification email where you sign up for a website, you get the email back that says, hey, is this really you? You can click on those. Those are relatively safe. I'm not going to say all of them are, but for the most part, those are safe. However, you always have the option to copy and paste that link into a browser.
1: Well, in those cases, you triggered the reaction anyway. Right. Like it's something that's been sent to you out of the blue. You, you've actually triggered that email to come to you.
0: But in this case, uh, in this particular instance, this gentleman kind of triggered that email because he had the interaction with the person ahead of time. And he said, hey, look for this email. It's going to be coming from Airbnb. So he was expecting it. So luckily he caught it before. So what came out of that conversation was a number of things with Airbnb. Number one, it was why would you have ever clicked an email link, go to Airbnb's website and log in or use the app that they have. So I always tell people if there's anything that is going to cause you to change your password or ask you to log in, go to the website. Don't Don't follow the link. If Google needs me to log in, I'm going to go to Google and I'm going to log in. If I get an email that says, hey, well, you think there's some, some, there's some uh, suspicious activity on your Gmail account? Well, I'm not going to follow the link in that email. I'm going to go to Gmail, log in, and look into my security and account review on, underneath Gmail. So don't ever, ever follow a link in email. Well, I'm actually going to be revisiting this just a little later on in the show with the same advice because of another scam that actually hit uh, this week as well that's going around. It's a pretty big one. That is the same, the same logic or the same advice rather is don't follow that link in email. You can always contact your service provider. So, if you get a weird email from, we'll say Airbnb, you can contact Airbnb and say, Hey, am I supposed to be getting an email from you guys with this address on it? They'll know. They'll know 100%. They'll say, ah, I don't think so. I got one years ago from Bright House. It told me to log into my Bright House and that there was an issue with my Bright House account. And at the time, I had Bright House. So, I said, Well, I better do this. And before I did it, I said, Huh just let me call them because I don't really want to be on the computer and messing with that. I'll just call them. We'll get it. We'll get this straightened out. So I called them up and they went, what are you talking about? I was like, well, I got this email from you guys. I'm like, well, we don't send out those kind of emails. And I'm like, well, it's from, and then I gave them the address. I go, yeah, we, we know about that scam. That one's going around.
1: I mean, these days, a lot of scammers have a considerable amount of information about you to include me, which cable company you're using. But even if they didn't, you know, almost everybody gets cable. And how many different cable service providers are there? So if they decide to do one of them and send it out in massive quantities, they're probably going to end up with at least 30% or 20% of the individuals who receive that email are clients of that service provider. So that's a pretty big starting point of, of individuals who are going to look at that with interest and, 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 and consider it because they know that they have an account with whether it's Bright House or another one, they have that account. Just like with major financial institutions these days, I mean, a lot of these are consolidated into only a handful of banks versus 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there were a lot of other banks. So now if someone uses banks like JP Morgan, Bank of America, a lot of people out there that will receive that email are gonna be clients of those institutions. Uh, So same way, Amazon. I mean, almost everybody's making purchases from amazon and so you have to be what you know with with a company like that that might send out to you a survey about the services that you received over the past month and maybe if it's not linked to any specific purchase you can know, say well yeah I, i've made purchases over this last month so i click on that link to do a survey and you know once again it's something that a that a, someone who phish, sends a phishing email can easily set up because if they know there's a high probability that you are a client of a particular company, that you're going to respond to it, right?
0: Yeah, I would say for the Amazon one, the first thing you do for that little fake survey, of course, is log into your Amazon account. And now you're just giving someone access to your Amazon account and they're ordering all kinds of goodies right there very fast too. Yeah, on the, on the cable provider, I think these days, I would choose Netflix. I would do a Netflix fish see, because you've either got Netflix or Hulu, and that's, I mean, a couple other streaming services, but not really as big as Netflix and Hulu. So I think your chances of percentage are a little higher on catching something that way. So if you have any kinds of doubts on that, always contact the provider directly via their website. Sometimes they have a chat or get them up on the phone. And again, do not click on any link in an email. Speaking of Amazon, if you guys want to help us out here at Metascam, it's very easy for you guys to do. You can head over to Metascam.com forward slash Amazon. That's going to take you right over to Amazon. It's the trusted site. It's just everything you expect. The only difference is we get a little bit of a kickback for sending them the traffic. So everything works 100% the same way. You get the same trusted service. It's just their way of thanking us for sending you there to do your shopping. And it's a way that you can support us without having any money come directly out of your pocket. Again, that URL is metascam.com forward slash Amazon. All right, so Peter, let me ask you, you speak for people. You go to organizations and you speak to them about risk management, uh, whether it be a chamber of commerce, somebody's business. Uh, Sometimes there are large conferences that you go to, whether they're the threat analysis or fraud conferences that you go to. Uh, But people could contact you and have you come speak at their institutions, their companies, their organizations about risk management. So what are some of the things that you would actually talk to them about in one of your uh, typical presentations?
1: Well, I did a few. I've done several of these over the last few months. And I gave a presentation last year at the annual certified fraud examiner conference it was a very big conference and gave a presentation there for 90 minutes on the whole aspect of the threats of social engineering and and how social engineering is conducted what to be on the lookout for and how to how to prevent some such attacks i those type of conferences lead to even smaller ones where people will will hear me and and want to have it maybe for the local chapter i gave a conference up in uh Syracuse this last week to uh, Chamber of Commerce in Syracuse, talking about information security. I was actually on a panel with other individuals, but I spoke specifically regarding uh, some of these things of how, how, how fraudsters uh, or scammers, same name, or social engineers will, will prey upon the uh, human behavior and, and being able to use humans to basically breach security. I have another one coming up here later in the month with the British-American Chamber of Commerce, a bunch of executives that I would be interested in learning about how to protect their personal security when it comes to information control. So I've given a lot of presentations, uh, individuals who are interested, if their organization reaches out to me and it's something local, very easy to do. Uh, so a lot of these can be pro bono or even a, a nominal charge if it's for a company. So if you're interested in, in this, please, don't hesitate to contact us. Um, these presentations can be can be a, a one-day training course if it's geared upon whatever the requirements that you you are interested in, uh, or it can be a, a you know one-hour presentation with a QA. But try to educate the individuals, both for their own personal security as well as security for their organization, on what types of Threats that are out there. Why might someone be interested in them or in their company to breach their security? I mean, that's from one side of the coin. And we also talk about some of the other services we provide regarding uh, how, you know, if you're concerned about entering into a possible relationship with someone, whether it's a personal relationship or a business relationship, have a background check on that individual. Have due diligence conducted on that on that company so we talk about the importance of why you need to do this and how you can so frequently get burned if you if you don't we can even give you some advice about how you can conduct some of the basics on your own although we want to we don't want to give away our our secrets uh, but we as one of many different professional companies that offer those type of services we can we try to educate you on what to look out for, but also if you really want to go forward and, and try to vet somebody or uh, individual organization, we can help you uh, vet that individual prior to handing any money over to them. Because once you hand the money over to them, you're sort of at their mercy if they want to take advantage of you. So
0: right off the bat, what comes to mind to me are companies like uh, real estate companies or banking companies would be the big one for me, I think. Investment companies, insurance companies, those that have people that are dealing with other people that are in a position to possibly take advantage of either the system or try to gain uh, an unreasonable amount of information out of them for something. And really, it it could be any organization. Uh, I know you and I belong to a particular networking group that it's composed of people from all kinds of walks of lives. That would be a fantastic spot for someone to go uh, for you to go speak at. And for anybody to gain that information, then possibly then go back to their organization and go, hey, uh, we really need to think about this because this is nowhere on our radar. And who knows how many times someone's tried to pull one over on us or worse, has pulled one over on us. Now, I'm thinking back now to a uh, a deal in a past company that I, that I was in. I mean, I was doing marketing for them. So I had absolutely nothing to do with security anywhere in there. Thank goodness on this one. And an individual had come to them uh, in the hopes of, or with the guys rather, of selling a vehicle. But before we could sell that particular vehicle to them, he wanted us to do particular modifications to this vehicle. Which those modifications included putting a coolant on, a cooler on it basically, a, a large commercial air conditioning system that would make this van into a freezer van, if you will, for lack of better term right now. And in the documentation that uh, the gentleman wrote up himself, which is probably red flag number one, he stated the temperature that that vehicle needed to maintain in the cargo area, in the cargo bed, in order for us to be able to sell that unit for him. When you look at the specs of the unit they put on that truck, which was the unit that was only available for that, it was actually a little van, it was one of the little Toyota, I'm sorry, um, Ford uh, Transit vans. The unit that was put on there to cool it could not maintain that temperature. It just can't do it. There was no way. And in hindsight, this guy knew that. And he just wanted to get out of a bad lease that he had gotten ahead of time. He or per, I think he had purchased a vehicle instead of leasing it, but he wanted to get out of that purchase. And the best way to do it, we ended up having to buy the vehicle. <laughs> Because we made modifications to his specifications and could not meet those specifications once we made all these. I mean, we're drilling holes and mounting stuff on this vehicle. We're destroying, uh, for lack of a better term, this vehicle. And he came back and went, well, it's not maintaining that temperature. And we kind of went, well, it's it's pretty close to that temperature. Well, it's not that temperature. There's no variance in what I said I wanted. And we're like, well, yeah, but. And he's like, there's no yeah buts. This was the contract. You guys are in a breach of contract. You need to buy the vehicle. And I kind of think, I no—I didn't know about this deal until it was all said and done, and people were yelling about it in the office, and they brought me up to speed on the whole thing. And my first question was, did our lawyers review this contract? And they went,
1: no. Probably not, yet." They did not.
0: And I'm like, oh, my goodness, guys, come on. <laughs> so something like even that type of information, when you go through someone who's doing a risk management assessment, that's a risk. You're selling somebody's vehicle. You're taking on something that is not normal for your business. You're making promises that, yeah, salespeople make promises all the time that never get fulfilled, but they get fulfilled to a degree and the customer is still happy. But you're never gonna make that be able to make that exacting commitment that was made to the customer.
1: And that guy knew it. Right. The I mean, salespeople are good at trying to make sales. Some of them might have technical backgrounds and really be able to understand, understand and and discuss the products and services. But when you get beyond the sales, you need to have those in-house capability to be able to review actually those technical specifications or, you know, you search for outside counsel to make sure, is there any issue, potential issue here? Because that was actually pretty, uh, pretty, pretty crafty.
0: It was. uh, And now that I'm thinking about it, the guy also had a very small window of time where he had to sell that vehicle. So everything is there. When you go back and look, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So when you went back and looked at that deal that was put together, there was no way we were going to get out of the deal at all. All right, so if people want to get a hold of you for a nice booking and have you come speak to their organization, how can they do that, sir?
1: Well, as we said many times, you can contact me directly at Strategic Risk Management. Our phone number is 407-475-0154, or you can, or you can try to reach me through uh, metascam.com.
0: Yeah, the information for strategic risk management is on the main page there at Metascam.com. And uh, Peter, I have uh, seen him speak, and he is an excellent speaker, and I highly recommend him. So go check him out over at Metascam.com. Had a couple new email scams this week, ones I hadn't seen before. And I was kind of happy about it. The variants of stuff I've seen before. But one of which, you, I thought you read ahead of the notes because you stole my thunder from one of them. I did. You did. but, <laughs> And that is an email that I got uh, this morning from, uh, well, I thought it was Facebook. It looked just like Facebook. And it said, hey, you're having problems logging in. Uh, click here and we'll log you in with one click. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm not having any problems logging into Facebook. I don't know what you're talking about. So my first thought was, I wonder if my account has been compromised. So I went into, cap- uh, into Facebook, I looked at my account security, looked at my account history, nothing out of the ordinary. I'm like, well, there's nothing here. So what's going on? So I went back to the email and I reread it. And I'm like, yeah, it looks fine. I mean, it's it's looks like a legitimate Facebook email. Everything's fine here. I don't I'm look. I hovered over the link. I'm like, it's a Facebook security link. Went back to Facebook and I'm like, it's not matching up. And uh, then I went back again after I had, uh, Kind of woken up a little more, had my glasses on because I, you know, I wear reading glasses for for basic, is what they are low prescription reading glasses. We all do
1: when we reach this certain maturity yeah. in our life, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> and uh, when I went back and I read it, it was not Facebook, it was a FACO book, F A C O <laughs> book. And with my glasses off, that, oh, I, I just automatically read Facebook my mind kind of filled in the blanks because it was a little blurry for me. And had I followed that link, I would have been like, what's going on? And I probably would have authenticated with Facebook or given that app permission or anything else. But and luckily I, I don't follow links in email. I follow my own advice on this one and I went to Facebook to figure
1: out what was going on. But well, you bring up a really interesting point because there's a they will do this, the scammers will do this quite frequently is creating a link that from a quick Observation: It looks like right away it clicks in your mind. Oh, that's Google. That's Facebook. And you're not necessarily reading very closely what it it reads because your mind is already, you've seen it so many times and all you automatically make that assumption without necessarily really verifying that that's what it is.
0: Yeah, my guard was down. It was early in the morning. It was was just, and there was like three or four of the emails and I was like, why even, and so my thought was, why am I getting three or four of these in a row? Why is it saying I'm having problems? I had a lot of questions and none of the questions were is this a real Facebook email? My questions were, what's going on with my account? And so I went back and forth. Yeah, I could have been easily fooled. Anybody, and I'm sure people are fooled for
1: this one all the time. Well, think about it, out of maybe 100 people that get this, there's probably at least eight That's minimum a good, yeah, that's that, a good are, that are going through the process and logging in and giving the culprit their username and password.
0: And that's really all they need because there are, I mean, a lot of people go, well, it's my Facebook account. What do I care? Well, a lot of Facebook accounts are tied to businesses and are tied to business advertising accounts. And if you're not paying attention to your business advertising account and somebody sets up an advertising campaign based on the fact that now they have your login to Facebook, now they'll spend they'll, they'll create a $20,000 advertising campaign overnight and you don't know anything about it because Facebook, because they're nice, automatically approves advertising campaigns that meet their guidelines. So as long as that advertising campaign meets their guidelines, they'll approve it and now all of a sudden you're spending money. So it's not just like someone's going to see what I had for breakfast and see my selfie from the car or whatever. It's it's something that the accounts that are tied to business accounts is what people are going after. So I was I dodged a bullet on that one because uh, I almost, it just it, it looked really, really good. It looked very professional. It was no spelling errors, no grammatical errors. It was very straight and to the point, and it just,
1: yeah, it could have gotten me. So you were able to dodge the bullet on one of maybe five different phishing emails you got today, and you didn't see the other four, perhaps. <laughs> no, I did see one of the other ones.
0: And uh, one of the other ones uh, that came in is an iTunes email. It's a receipt from iTunes. And it says, hey, uh, thank you for your recent purchase of this particular app. And here's this name of this crazy app, and it's a $15 app. And you're saying, I didn't buy this. I didn't buy this app, and I'm the only one on my iTunes account. Actually, my actually I'm not. My daughter's on my iTunes account. So I'm thinking, she didn't. Maybe she bought it. No, this is not an app she would buy. And I look right down on the bottom of the email. And it's very convenient. It says, uh, if you have questions about these charges, uh, visit the iTunes support, and here's a link for you to visit us. Of course, if you look at that link, it does not go to iTunes support. Furthermore, when I looked at the receipt, because you can look at the, um, the code of an, of an email, what it's, how it's built and everything, the HTML behind it, the code behind it. And none of the images were being served up from anywhere in iTunes. It was very hastily. Once I let me, at first glance, this thing passed mustard. Except for the fact that it, it wasn't an app that I would normally buy. It wasn't an app anybody in my family would buy. So that was the first red flag. And then when I looked, hovered over the link, because I'm like, you know, I would just normally go to iTunes if there was an issue. I would just go to my iTunes account and go look, what's the problem? I didn't buy this. I'll refund it there. So when I hovered over the link, there was a dead giveaway at that point in time that that is not an iTunes link. And then when I viewed the source and I'm like, yeah, this is a complete, so I reported it to iTunes. A drop in the bucket for them probably. I don't know if they'll do anything about it or not, but at least they know about it. So that one was a less of a... It was more red flags for me than anything because it was too many questions it was why you know you're meant to think that hey somebody has my
1: itunes account but andy you're not a typical consumer in that standpoint i mean there are a lot of consumers out there that will be cautious that will be you know will do the exactly the same the same thing that you did but that's unfortunately that's not typical a lot of people i think unfortunately fall for these things because it does work These would not be out there and used over and over and over again, variations of the same sort of techniques if they weren't successful.
0: And that's the exact issue because we're about to go full circle here. Back to Mr. Victor Lustig. Ah, What he used back in the 1920s was a newspaper. He had an article that came out about the Eiffel Tower. They're not going to be able to support it. It was never meant to be a permanent structure. We're going to get rid of it. The city should sell it for scrap. The whole nine yards. And he began his scheme, his scam. Oh, let's look at the news. That's been uh, the stories here recently. Have been the news, Peter. Uh, how many hacking break-in attempts have been like major ones? Let's see. Now they've said if you ever had a
1: Yahoo account, you were compromised. Yeah, that goes back to 2013, Bill, at least, at least. So the fact that a major security breach is announced today doesn't mean that it happened today. It could have happened years ago, and there's a couple of reasons why why you maybe didn't find out about it today. First of all, it depends on when that particular entity discovered the breach. Breaches go on, can go on for years and years and years without the victim – organization even finding out about it. We're undoubtedly a lot of companies out there, companies that you're using that you rely upon that are currently having their security breached at various degrees. Some very serious, some maybe very minor, but there's there's a level of breach and security of a of a lot of organizations out there and the companies don't necessarily find out about that right away. And then I think we did maybe mention this several episodes again. When they do find out about a breach there's a process, you know. Are they obliged to inform the consumer? If the breach entails actual personal information of the consumer, such as your name, social security number, of course your social security number, maybe your credit card number, your address, they're obliged uh, by particular states, it's a state-by-state laws, to inform the consumer about that breach. However, there is a period of time where they can wait during a during the process of when an investigation is being conducted by by law enforcement. Because think about it, I mean the the rationale is here. Andy, if you were to breach into our company and we found out about it, we wouldn't we we didn't know exactly who was involved in the breach. We wouldn't want to announce that there's been a breach in our company, even though we had to eventually, because it might tip you off. Hey, we're on to you. Uh, we would not want to make any announcement. We would want to conduct an investigation, and law enforcement would conduct an investigation to find out who is behind this and can we catch them in you know in some capacity. Then, at some point, inform the public. You know, unfortunately, there's been a breach. But so that's why there's sometimes a big delay of this information coming out. In the case of, I mean, Yahoo, maybe, maybe is maybe is why there was a delay in in releasing uh, the severity of these breaches, but it went from like $7 billion to, I don't know how many, How what the number is 13, today? I think it was the last 13, one I no? saw. Yeah,
0: $13 accounts, account, which is all of their accounts.
1: I mean, it's phenomenal. Every breach just seems to be bigger than the last one. And then some of these little ones anymore, that people don't even think about, but it could be pretty, pretty <laughs> severe. But, you know, uh, if your uh, information has been breached, and even though it's been a small breach of uh, 15000 it's still, I mean, for you, it could be quite significant.
0: Exactly. And we just had the, the Equifax uh, breach uh what couple weeks ago and the people still reeling from that so the point is these security breaches are on everybody's mind we see it in the news and now it's just being reinforced you get something that comes in your email that has something to do with a security breach in an account and says hey we just need you to log in and verify that it's you and you think maybe this is part of that thing maybe this was part of the yahoo thing i had a yahoo account once maybe i've been compromised you go and you then Fill in the blanks, and you now are compromised. So the scammers and fishers are taking advantage of the same type of media uh, that was that's been taking you know, that was taken advantage of so many years ago, and has been taken advantage throughout time. So whenever something's on our mind, we tend to let our guard down a little bit.
1: You're probably thinking and Andy and myself want to make you all a little bit paranoid. We definitely do. We definitely do because you don't have a little bit of paranoia you're not going to stop and think and look at that and think is that a legitimate request or is that coming from a legitimate organization at the end of the day all the scammers fraudsters social engineers they're trying to impersonate what in your mind is le- is a legitimate thing whether it's a phone call you're thinking it's coming from a legitimate organization it's an email coming from a legitimate organization it's a text message coming from a legitimate organization uh, or it's a person that just happens to come up to you and says I I'm so-and-so and I represent XYZ. They're always trying to impersonate some person or entity that you trust. It's up to you to take a step back and say how can I verify that that actually is coming from that organization that I trust. That's that verification piece. That's why we need to have a little bit of paranoia in our daily life unfortunately but if you want to protect yourself and be proactive about it that's what you must do because you can pay somebody else to get you out of the problem after you know you got into it there's plenty of other service providers that will provide you insurance and they'll give you guidance but then you're already gotten into that problem would you rather pre- prevent having a car accident or had the car accident No, well they're gonna it's insured and they're gonna help me resolve uh, getting out of this problem later I think I'd rather Try to avoid having a car, car accident.
0: I'll yeah, it's, it's a level of vis- vigilance that we need to maintain. And no matter what we're doing, it, it's just anything, any aspect of our lives, you need to have some level of vigilance in that part of it. Whether it is being online, being, doing, conducting business with somebody, investing your money, uh, doesn't matter. I mean, there are very few places that you go into knowing you're going to lose your money. And about the only one I can think of that I care to share on the show anyhow is when you go to a circus and you know that that circus, that carny game is rigged and you're, you're just there to have a good time, so it doesn't matter anyhow. And yeah, you might spend $5 and get, a, and get a, a $1 giant panda bear that you have to carry around with you,
1: but you had a great time. I like the analogy. And actually, I know one of my best friends who is an excellent social engineer, but a good guy, not the bad kind, good guy. He actually started his, uh, I mean, his career, he he worked as a carny. Yeah. He he, he brought a lot, I mean, he keeps on going back to that all the time. All the things he learned working on the carnival.
0: And when we will get him on the show? I would love to have him on the show. That would be an incredible festival event of events there. Well, Peter about the end of another show here.
1: Time for a cocktail, but don't get drunk.
0: (laughs) No, that's one of the rules. We got to follow those rules. Always remember, folks, our number one rule around here is verify then trust. Our number two rule is see rule number one. Always verify and then trust. Don't follow any of those links in your emails, folks. And remember, you are not alone out there. Do your best to educate yourself against possible scams. Talk to your friends and neighbors about them. Together, we can make a difference. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Our email is hello at metascam.com, and we're here to help. Until next time, this has been Andy
1: and Peter for metascam.com.
0: Visit www.metascam.com for show information, archives, and more. Want to get in touch? Follow us on Twitter at Show, or email us at hello at metascam.com.